Good night, everybody. Good to be with you again. How are you tonight? Everything going well? Praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to be looking at some more about Jerusalem meets Rome and finds Babylon. Now, let me just tell you where that, what that phrase really means. Jerusalem starts out as a Jewish capital, right? That's where the Jewish capital, and that's where the gospel started, was right there where the capital was. Uh, it was at first a very strong Jewish movement. It grew rapidly, and lots of people within Jerusalem were trusting Jesus Christ. Even uh, some of the Levites, some of the priests, even some of the Pharisees had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the Jerusalem side of it. But as it left Jerusalem and started going to other parts of the world, it's now going to encounter Rome. And when it encounters Rome, that means it's encountering Gentiles. And there's going to be a problem as the church tries to figure out, are we Jewish? Are we Gentile? How do you have Jewish and Gentile that come together? And where we've been looking at where Al started this uh, uh, the last time that he taught was on the conflict that was going on in the church about the people uh, who were saying, what are you going to do with the Gentiles? They got to be circumcised. They got to follow the law just like the rest of us do. No, the discussion came about. They found some way to uh, settle that particular disagreement. So when we talk about Jerusalem meets Rome, we're saying that the Jewish movement that was started there in Jerusalem was moving out into the rest of the world where it encountered the Gentiles. Ultimately, that Gentile group is going to reject the Jewish group, and you're going to have a divide that took place within the church. Matter of fact, the church kind of went anti-Semitic for a while, uh, where they were just set against the Jews. Okay? Ultimately, that church was absorbed into the Roman Empire. As it was absorbed in the Roman Empire, and here's something that somebody pointed out the other day. I don't remember exactly who it was right now, but it was a, a good prophecy teacher, was sharing that we speak about the revived Roman Empire, and we speak about it because that is the, um, the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw Gold head, silver torso, uh, uh, bronze center, uh, bronze uh, around the waist, and then the legs were iron. Progressively, it goes from good, strong metal with great value to a little lesser value, a little lesser value to a poor value. And we say it's the revived Roman Empire because of the ten toes. Rome represented those iron legs. It's a crushing thing. But this man was pointing out it is not a revival of the Roman Empire. It's a revival of the Babylonian Empire. Why? Because Babylon was the head of this thing. The image was about Babylon. It wasn't about Rome. Rome's the last part of the Babylonian Empire. So it's always been about Babylon. That's why it's important to see that in Revelation, Babylon is what gets destroyed because that's the end of the Babylonian Empire. And I thought that was worth it. Okay? Now, that's what we mean that when it came into Rome and it became now a pretty Gentile organization, it changed the role of the church. The church and the state became so put together that you couldn't disidentify them. Yeah, they were, they were together all the time. So wherever the church went, that's where the kingdom was going, or the Roman Empire was going. Where the Roman Empire was going is where the church was going. Ultimately, when the Roman Empire fell, remember, it had two parts, not one. It had two legs, so it had two parts. There was an eastern church as much as there was a western church. We don't study much about the eastern one, but that may be the empire that's revived not the Western one, okay? So uh, just, just to point those out, the church started adopting old Babylonian processes. Now, uh, there's, there's something to be said for ritual, okay? And I, I want to speak just briefly about something to be said for ritual. Ritual is the practice of some of what's known as the higher churches. 
where there are certain things that you do that have symbolic meaning. And you're, you're to repeat those rituals that have some sort, that's, that's why they're called, um, yeah, I just had the word and then lost it, um, sacraments. That's why they're called sacraments. Sacraments means they are giving you some sort of grace, that they are sacred, and that in performing them, your part of your salvation is given to you. But you have to keep performing the sacraments in order to have God's grace continue to come to you. Everybody follow where I'm at? So it's those sacraments. There was never any sort of statement in Jesus' word, the Gospels, or any place else about any of those sacraments. Not any of them. There was not a process that was going to save you, not a ritual that's going to save you. It was faith in Christ. So there wasn't, wasn't ritual there to, to go by. That came from the Roman Empire's adoption of the Babylonian Empire way of doing things. Excellent re- book written about that. Uh, can't remember the bishop's name now. He was from the Church of England. He wrote a book called uh, The Two Babylons. And it's, it's worth reading. It's got some pretty good stuff in it. Now, many scholars today have tried to say that's not a le- legitimate book. You shouldn't read that book. But it's been imprint for a couple of centuries, I guess. So, and it's been valid and shown to be true a long, a long time ago. All right. Now, let's talk about disagreements, church leaders, and members. Let's go to Acts chapter 15 just for a minute. Acts chapter 15. Do you ever uh, read the Bible and you're coming along, you read about some of the guys that were in the Scripture, and you think, boy, there's the heroes. Man, that's, that's the people I want to look up to. Do you ever come to the realization that, man, they were some pretty flawed heroes. <laughs> they did some things that, ooh, uh, they, they may be called heroes of our faith, but they did do some things that showed that they really are human. Matter of fact, quite human. So here, let's come to Acts 15. Let's start our reading in verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should take with them the one who, they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you that uh, people are really people. And thank you of the heroes of our faith that taught us good things. We thank you for what you're teaching us through your word as we want to know how to disagree properly. We want to know what things go on. Thank you for what you're doing, Father, as you give to us a good understanding in what we need to do in Jesus' name. And um, amen. Now, you know, there's a lot of, thing, a lot of factors that can create disagreements not the least of which is stress. Uh, you can be in such a stressful situation. I, I recently went to, uh, while Sean and I were down in Texas, I went to an all-day drill of scenario first aid treatment, emergency traumatic treatment. And it was scenario style. That means you're going to be placed in a scenario where you got to do something. Um, one of the things they did all day long was uh, give us, uh, we, we had, they had a, uh, a training packet there and it had tourniquets in it. We had to keep putting tourniquets on ourselves all day. I'm going to tell you, tourniquets hurt. If, if it hasn't hurt, you didn't, you didn't do what the tourniquet has to do. It has to hurt in order to stop that blood flow. If it doesn't hurt, you probably did not stop the blood flow. So I would put it on. I'm right-handed, not left-handed. I tried to put that on my left hand, and I tried to get it as tight as I could. It was hurting like crazy. I said, ouch, ouch, ouch. Felt, ooh, I still have a pulse. Oh, no. So I got to do it one more time. Matter of fact, it came to the point I couldn't turn it anymore, and one of the leaders came by and turned it for me with both hands. Oh, say, it really did hurt, but it did stop the pulse. Now, uh, 
they what they did then was make sure that we understood what an emergency situation is. So they shouted at us a lot. Uh, he even picked up at one point. He had a, a nine uh, millimeter um, pistol that shot blanks, and you know if he didn't think we were paying close enough attention. He'd pick that up and then fire that thing about three times. Bam, bam, bam. He said, you've all been shot. Put some tourniquets on. Take care of each other. Some have been shot in the leg. Some have been shot in the arm. Choose. And then as he'd go around, he would just shout. Do you know what stress does to you? Do you know stress can present some disagreements? When you're stressed out, you may be at the point where you'll disagree quicker than you would any other time. All right. And that's what they wanted to show us. We had a couple of other scenarios that were really at the point. He stopped us at one point and said, how many of you heard the horn honk? Not a one of us had heard the horn honk. And apparently a horn had been honking uh, quite a little bit. We didn't hear it because we were looking at the scenario. You, you follow what I'm saying? All he wanted to show us was that you are not conscious of everything that's going on when you're under stress. And all I want you to see is stress can produce an environment for you in which disagreeing can happen quite regularly. So let's look at this. Uh, People are going to disagree. That's the first thing we want to see. So a way to start, listen, there's, there's an importance of us accepting some things as true things so that we quit acting like we're shocked by them. How many of you know you're terminal and that you are going to die? You, you have to know that, okay? You have to accept that. That is a true thing. Don't be shocked because uh, you die someday. Don't be shocked because somebody tells you, you know, looks like you've got a cancer that's going to take your life. Well, yeah, if it wasn't that, it's going to be something else. You aren't going to get out of here alive. That, that's what he's already told us. We're, we're not made for this world, okay? Um, so, Uh, Let's talk about some things that people disagree about. I've seen this, and you probably have too. Do you know there's more than one way to do anything? There is more than one way to do anything. Now, some of those are more expensive than others. Maybe you've worked with somebody, and you know that they think they've got a solution to it, and you're saying, don't buy it here. Over here is a much better place to buy it. But I don't have a credit card for that. Well, that doesn't matter. This is a better place to buy it right here. Oh, you can, you can come to some disagreements about that. Some ways are more expensive than others. Even though there's more than one way to do things, some are more effective than others. Some could get a job done. You may be engaged in some work with somebody else, and you're recognizing, man, if you keep doing it that way, it's going to take us a long time to get this job done. This is not effective. It's not efficient. Let's make a better use of this thing. And you could get into a disagreement. You follow where I'm coming from? Number three, some things save more time than others. And again, that's about efficiency. I might disagree with you about how to do something. But in the disagreement, I have to understand this. There's more than one way to do something. All right, number four, some are just the way we were taught. That's some of the things we do is just because that's the way we were taught. It's the only way I know how to do it. And when somebody teaches us something else, we think that they may be violating my whole family. That's not the way my family does it. I, don't, I can't do it that way, okay? They're simply cultural things. We do some things because they're simply cultural. That's just the way our our culture does it. And number five, some ways we will reject because we have done them before and failed or suffered some loss from it. Anybody ever done that before? You ever done something and you're seeing somebody about to do something and you already know, man, if you do that, that, that's going to hurt you. I've seen it before. And maybe we're not going to do anything about that again because we did it before. We're not going to do that one again. That one hurt. Okay. And you may see somebody and somebody's going to say to you, I'm fine. I don't. It's not bothering me a bit. Why do we not give three-year-olds sharp butcher knives? Yeah. We, We know that's dangerous. Somebody can get hurt that way. That's why we don't do it. Letter B, we have a need to be right. Sometimes there's disagreements because we all have a need to be right. So, 
So right, in fact, that it becomes my way or the highway. Nothing but pride. Anybody ever been through a situation like that? Maybe you did that. Maybe it was done to you. Maybe somebody you were working with said, nope, it's, I'm, I'm right about this, and you either do it my way or it's the highway. Okay? That can be a source of disagreement. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it and the person may not understand. It may be something that's brand new to them. Uh, we we had that in some of the first aid training we had. You know, there were some things that we were doing, and they were telling us, "No, you can't do that. That will that, that person." They, they were helping us understand. First aid, trauma uh, treatment when you get there, is not saving a life. It's delaying death. You, you, you're not the one. If, if you've got a, a severed femoral artery, you're, you're not going to put it back together again. You might stop the bleeding. And all you're doing is delaying the death until they can get to a doctor that can put that artery back together again. Ever, ever see what we're talking about? So there, there are things there that you have to do it my way or the highway. So you're, you're right about that. All right. Letter C. Sometimes we simply have a prejudice toward a type of person, a person's ethnicity, a person who's failed us. Just pick a prejudice. Pick your favorite prejudice. Doesn't matter to me <laughs> which, which one it is. Have you ever worked with somebody that you had a prejudice against? You knew it? Just as soon as maybe, maybe it was something they said or they reminded you of somebody. And as soon as that took place, you determined you're not going to listen to them. You're, you're going to disagree with whatever they have to say. Or maybe that somebody, uh, you, uh, you're, you're just like my mother, or you're just like my father. Wait, whoa, wait a minute. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I didn't like my way my father did it, and I don't like the way you're going to do it. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then letter D, we're foolish at heart. That's another thing you need to accept. In your heart is not always wisdom. We are coming into this world foolish. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We spend all our life trying to figure out how to teach fools to not be fools. And the biggest point of a fool is that he can't receive instruction. He doesn't want to be instructed. He thinks he's always right. Well, the Scriptures teach us in Proverbs that fools and scoffers are always in conflict. They're always in contention with somebody. You, you've probably seen it yourself uh, as you've been in different group situations. You recognize after a while that person is contentious. They are just simply going to contend with you. No matter what you say, what you do, it's not the right thing. They've always had a, a better situation than you did, a more terrible situation than you did. The snake was longer than your snake was. The lion actually bit your head off, and you just barely had time to get it back on again. You know, So we are foolish at heart, and that will pre- present us with some disagreements. Letter E. Sometimes it actually is a matter of right and wrong. How do we make that determination? There are times that a disagreement's going to come up because it is a question of, no, this one's right, that one's wrong. You can't do that way. There's not a right way to do a wrong thing. And there may be a disagreement that comes up because it is a matter of right and wrong. So not every disagreement is a bad thing. There may be times when you do have to disagree and just understand, I can't help it if they don't agree with that. Let's take the gospel, for instance. Is the gospel the only way to heaven? Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to everlasting life. It's the only way to get to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I compromise that? No. No, I can't. That's always going to be the truth. Even if I meet a nice whatever, pick a religion or pick a, pick an atheist if you want. 
It doesn't matter about that. It does matter that this is what God has said. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Okay. So it sometimes it's actually a matter of right and wrong. How do we make that determination? We make that determination through the Word of God. That's the first place you go. What does the Word of God teach about this? Does the Word of God have something to say about this? That's where you go for the first one, all right? Letter F. We will set unreal expectations on someone and are disappointed when they fail by not living up to our expectations. We will be disagreeable with that person until a resolution can be reached. Uh, there, there really are people that don't want to be reconciled. They just don't want to be reconciled. They like their um, anger. They're, they feed off of that uh, justification they think they have for their bitterness. There's nothing you can do that's going to please them. Uh, you, can, you can ask them to forgive you, and they'll say something along the lines of, I can forgive you, but I can't forget. You know, I, I'm just not going to do that. And that often happens when we set expectations on people that even they don't know about. You might even understand you have it yourself. But you expect somebody to behave a certain way. You say, well, how will I ever know if that? What if they don't do it? If they don't do it and it makes you angry, it's because you had an expectation you didn't even realize you had. But there it was, that expectation that you shouldn't have done that. And if you, you put that expectation on them, remember this, the only one who has a legitimate right to an expectation is God Almighty. That's the only one. Why? Because he's the one who created us. He's the one who set what's right and wrong. He's the one who has a right to expect some behavior from us. Because he's the only one who has the right, he's the only one that could send a Savior. He sent Jesus because we fail his expectation. Jesus didn't fail his expectation, okay? So sometimes disagreements come up simply because we have unreal expectations placed on people and we... Uh, are angry with them because they don't do it. <clears throat> Letter G, some conflicts arise from not minding our own business. Okay? And Proverbs twenty six seventeen says, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. You know, when I read that, I think I was a kid at the time when I read that, when I thought, what are that? And then, I saw somebody do this. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's probably, it probably wasn't funny, but he grabbed the dog by his ears and just shook him all around. You know, and, he's, and then the, that dog now is, is growling at him pretty, pretty good. And he realized, what do I do now? <laughs> I can't let any of these ears go. I can't run fast enough to get away from his immediate bite. And so he just held on to that, and he said, help. <laughs> well, nobody wanted to come help him. You've got a dog by the ears, mister. You're, you're going to be in big trouble in just a moment here. So it took the, the uh, owner of the dog to come over and grab a hold of the dog himself and say, now let his ears go. And, of course, he held the dog back, and that dog was mad. Well, when I read that, and I realized when you take somebody's business that's not yours, when you think you're going to just settle a conflict and you weren't even asked to be a part of that settlement, you took a dog by the ears because somebody is not going to be happy with your settlement. Somebody is going to misunderstand why you're even there. Maybe I can say it like this. When we grew up in uh, Independence, Missouri, uh, I had two brothers. There were three of us. And uh, we didn't always get along. We had things to say to each other, you know, and you're, you're this, you're that, and we'd fight with each other and that sort of thing. But up the street from us lived Gene, and Gene also had two brothers. And we'd all get together and just play and have a great time. You know, we had we'd, we'd cowboys and Indians, and we, we fought Germans, and we fought Japanese, and we fought all, we fought all kinds of people. And we, we were always winning. I Obviously, we would have won any of the wars because the six of us could defeat anybody, okay? Well, if one of the Gene's brothers had a conflict with one of our brothers, one of my brothers, 
even though I may not get along with that brother all the time, you've got three of us now. It's not one. It's three. And that could lead to a pretty good fight, you know. Don't take, take on a conflict that's not, no, I think you get the point. Roman numeral two. Becoming a believer does not automatically change all of our old man habits. That is a process. Let's call it sanctification. Now, uh, let's go back to letter F just for a moment. We'll set unreal expectations on someone and are disappointed when they fail by not living up to our expectations, right? Have you ever said something? A Christian could never do that. Why could a Christian never do that? What, what stops a Christian from doing that? Given a right situation, I doubt if there's anything a Christian's not capable of doing. You follow what I'm saying? It depends on the situation that you, they're placed in and the quality of their own conscience, whether they can do it or they can't do it. Okay? Just becoming a believer does not automatically mean you won't be a disagreeable person. You may very well be. It may take you years to stop being a disagreeable person. Matter of fact, you may never stop being a disagreeable person. Just because someone behaves in an improper way doesn't mean they are not a believer. Because becoming a believer does not automatically change all your habits all right, so let's, let's just talk our way through it. When we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit applies Christ's death to us so that our old man is crucified with him. We're all born with an old man. We came into this world with foolishness bound in our heart. We came into this world with an old man in us. I call him a sin generator. What he did, he wanted to do his own thing, and because he wants to do his own thing, he establishes himself as God. Because he established himself as God, he's always doing habits using this frame to do them in. Uh, maybe it's his tongue. Maybe he says foul things. Maybe he does foul things. Um, maybe it's something that he does with his eyes. Maybe it's something he does with his fists, his hands, any number of things. He's used this frame to do sinful habits in. When you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this old guy, the sin generator, is crucified with Christ. He's not there now to generate new sin. You follow where I'm at? What you'll have is old habits that he taught this body how to do. Now, here's, let's go on with this. I'll show you what, the, what happens with that. The Holy Spirit then births a new man in us. This is being born again. So a new, a new person's born in you. When that new person is born in you, you are a born-again person, and you are given now the habits. Let's see if I can let her see. This new man comes with the righteousness of Christ, and we will learn new habits as the Holy Spirit convicts us and teaches us. You know, there isn't it amazing that uh, Titus chapter 2, uh, verse 11, or I'm sorry, uh, ch- yeah, chapter 2, verse 11 uh, teach, so, shows us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. That's what that grace is doing in us, and it's teaching us new ways. You ever notice how that you, there, when a, a, a new believer uh, trust Jesus Christ. There are many things you don't ever have to say to him that he just all of a sudden starts giving up. He looks around and says, you know, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I love going to church. I love being around. I love to read the Word of God. Boy, this really gets me excited. I'm reading this Word of God. And there are new habits forming and old habits leaving him. Now, that, that's real quick process. It starts early on. Then you get a little bit older in Christ. And now things that are a little closer to them, habits that are a little closer, they're a little more guarded about giving up. They feel a little insecure giving them up. 
that if I gave that one up, I don't know who I am anymore, you know, because that's the way I've always been. I've always done this. I, this is the way I always lived. And they're a little less willing to give up that ownership, that authority. Not ready for that. But sometimes they break and they did something. They realize, I got to stop that. I'm not doing that anymore. And they start giving that one up and they learn new habits. So that's what's happening when the Holy Spirit gives us new birth. Letter D, though the old man is now dead, the habits he trained the body with are still operable in us. Even though we are capable of anything we might have done before being born again, because of Christ's death, we are no longer under condemnation. That's what Romans 8.1 means. There is therefore now no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what God has said about you. Because he crucified the old man, he knows you have old habits. The sanctification process is changing those habits. It's convicting you about certain things. You're now saying, you know, uh, I don't mind Jesus being in charge of my spiritual life, but my money? Uh, And you may be a little less willing to give that up. But after a while, some conviction comes on you and say, you know, I don't know why I need all this money. There are people I know that need help. I want to help them. And you may find yourself in a giving mode instead of a getting mode. You follow what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're using what God has given you now for the glory of God. So you're, you're seeing those things <coughs> change in you day by day. You're still capable of doing all kinds of wrong things. You, uh, you, you know, do you, anybody ever after maybe years of following Christ, you have a blow up one day, and then when you back off and look at it, say, oh, I feel horrible. You ever felt like, I can't even pray anymore. I, I, I had a, uh, an argument with my wife. I had an argument with my husband. Uh, my best friend and I just really had a, a, a falling out there. and I just don't feel right about anything anymore. I, I want to go to church. I, you know, I'm just, I'm a condemned person. I just want you to know this. No, you're not. You're still capable by habits, by default, of doing about anything you did before you were born again. So learn to accept that as a reality and live instead in the spirit rather than in the flesh. All right. Let's go on then to a letter. Anybody, I should say, anybody got anything before we go on? Anything there? All right. Letter E. We can still be quite disagreeable for the same reasons as before until we, by the grace of God, kill the deeds of the flesh. We will progressively change our habits by the Holy Spirit using putting off the old and putting on the new habits taught by the Spirit. You can change, and you will change. But there is a process to go by. It's mortifying the deeds of flesh. That doesn't mean you go around flagellating yourself and beating yourself up and condemning yourself. That, that's all wasted. It means that you're looking at it and saying, what displeases Christ? Did, did doing that displease Christ? If it did, then you're, you're free to recognize, I want to change. So, Lord Jesus, change me. And I'm going to put off that habit and put on a new habit. You'll learn some new habits, okay? So let me show you an example from our text tonight uh, about what, what we mean by this. Even though you're born again, it doesn't mean you can't be disagreeable. It doesn't mean everything automatically changed in you. So let's look at X, or, uh, Acts 15, and let's look at verse 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is now a doctrinal issue. You probably looked at that last, last time Al spoke. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small, what? Dissension and dispute is what mine says. They were arguing. They were, they were trying to prove their point. And kids, it was getting heated. 
there were some voices that were being raised. There was a dissension and a dispute that was going on. I'm going to tell you, this is two born-again men talking with a group of born-again people. Now, they could argue this because they already were Jewish when they trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were already there. So they didn't have to worry about being circumcised. That was already done. But since they had now trusted Christ, they felt everybody ought to be doing the same thing they had to do to be a part of this, that this is a Jewish movement. And Paul and Barnabas are having no small dissension. Isn't that how it says it? Uh, They had no small dissension and dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. In other words, they're having such a big argument, they don't feel like they'll ever get it settled. They can't resolve it. So they're going to go down to ask those who have been closest to Jesus, those who'd walk with Jesus, they're going to go down and ask them, what should we do about this situation? What do you think God's saying? All right. So they, uh, they sent them on their way, verse 3, verse 4, that, you know, they, uh, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law. So men, they're telling about how when they got to um, uh, Troas, this is what happened when they got here. The Gentiles, man, they wanted to hear everything we had to say. Uh, the Jews, uh, not so much. We started at the synagogue. Some of the Gentiles were in there. They loved what we were talking about. Some of the Jews loved what we were talking about. But the, the ruler of the synagogue said, you can't stay here. You got to go to another place. So they went to another place. And now all the Gentiles in that city started turning to Christ. Well, the Pharisees of that group said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know they turned to Christ? Did, did, you, did you baptize them, circumcise them? Did, did they follow the law? Well, no. Well, they have to. And that's, that's what's creating this big uh, dissension here. Verse 6 says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Oh, okay. Now the really sanctified dudes are together here. These are the guys who's got their act together. They've been following Jesus. They know what's going on. And then it goes on to say, verse 7, and when there had been much dispute. Now, that just simply means it went on a long time. This wasn't just some guys that said, I disagree with you, or I disagree with you. And they, they had two-minute discussion. This is a, a debate. We, you have three minutes. You have three minutes. Then you have a, a five minutes to respond to that. You have five minutes. To re- no. These guys were arguing back and forth, and this went on for quite some time. <clears throat> then it says, Peter rose up and said to the men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us, and by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. <clears throat> okay, I, the rest of it is just his argument about, um, or his, his discussion point that shows why the Gentiles should not have to do the circumcision and that sort of thing. Now I'd like you to go on down to verse 36. Then after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, uh, or Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Wait a minute. This is two born-again believers, not just two born-again believers, two missionaries. They have been out there doing this work, and they're the ones that all these Gentiles had, had come to know Jesus Christ by. These are a couple of very powerful fellows as far as this whole Christian experience goes. You follow what I'm saying? But they have not changed their need to be right. Paul has got this bone of contention that he has with Mark because Mark gave up on him. Mark encountered some of the things they were going through and said, I can't do this. I've got to go back home. That displeased Paul. Barnabas, who was the cousin of Mark, said, he's just young. He'll be okay. He he just got to get some of these little butterflies out of his belly here. He'll be okay. Paul said, no, 
He will never be okay. I, I don't want him going with us. And that contention got so sharp between them that they finally had, had to say, we just have to separate. All right? So let's kind of work our way through that. Number one, dispute and argumentation had been the normal ways for Jewish folk to discuss Scripture. That was not unusual for them to have arguments or discussions, disputes, in the synagogue. A man might stand up to read and say, and that's what this, this says here, this. And another would stand up and say, I disagree with you about that. And from then, there could be arguments, pretty sharp arguments. It was normal. That was considered quite normal behavior. Now, you didn't duke it out with each other. You weren't going to have a fist fight over the thing, but you were going to have some strong opinions expressed. And you were going to look to someone to resolve that. Who were you going to look to? A chief rabbi. You're going to look to a, a, a famous rabbi, and you're going to bring this conflict to him, and that famous rabbi was going to tell you, well, what do you think? And then you're going to have another discussion there. That was normal. Okay. It was particularly the practice among the Pharisees. Paul had been trained as a Pharisee. Remember that? Paul studied among the Pharisees, and he's practicing what he knows how to practice. The practice is you have the arguments and disputes. You present your point, then you present another point, and somebody else presents another point, and these points go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's the way he did it. And when he went to synagogues to preach in those synagogues, it wasn't just that he stood up and gave a sermon and then sat down. He reasoned, disputed, argued from the Scriptures why Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Messiah. And sharp contention would arise sometimes. That was normal behavior. Ever follow him? They're, they're not uh, uh, going to be saying now, I'm so sorry, I'm not showing good Christian behavior by disagreeing. It, it, it wasn't anything that they were doing like that. They were disagreeing because it was a normal pattern of doing things, all right? <clears throat> Number three, arguing, reasoning, had been Paul's practice after being born again. That's uh, look at Acts chapter 9 just for a minute. Uh, studying the life of Paul has been an amazing thing to me. As you see, uh, what this hero of our faith really did. Okay? Here is uh, verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. Immediately, Paul uh, preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called this, on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? And Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. How do you confound them? You're making your point stronger than their point. That's an argument. That's, that's a disagreement. Everybody see where I'm at? Let's go on to verse 23. After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They were upset enough with him, they wanted him dead. All right? But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took it by night, led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, same guy he's going to have a contention with later, but Barnabas took him and <clears throat> brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. What's boldly preaching? You know that what you're preaching goes against what the culture is having to say, and you have to be bold to be able to say that, all right? So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and what? Disputed against the Hellenists, but they t attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Here's one of the verses I think is funny. And the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. What do, you, what do you have to do? Get Paul out of Dodge. 
As long as Paul is here, we're going to have contention, contention, contention. So they took him all the way to Caesarea. So you're going down from Jerusalem all the way out to Caesarea. That's on the coast. And you're going to take him up on the coast. I think they took him to Tarsus, didn't they? Uh, they took him there. Well, I forget now where I'm at. Oh, here he is. Um, yeah, and uh, the churches took him. Yeah, Caesarea sent him out to Tarsus. Tarsus is where he's from. So that, that's his hometown. He is Saul of Tarsus. So they said, why don't you go home and just cool off for a little while? Everything's kind of going rough here. And now the churches all had rest. They had peace, all right? Well, Paul, that became Paul's way of dealing with people. We'll, we'll come to that in a little bit later. Uh, verse 4, he had a sharp disagreement with another born-again man, his co-worker, Barnabas. That led to a separation from one another. Scripture has no record of a reconciliation between them. But neither does the Scripture contain a record of them being so offended they did not speak to each other again. We do not know how they resolved those differences of opinion about the decision to take or leave Mark. We don't even know if they did resolve it. We don't, well, let's go on further. It is conjecture that tells us they did reconcile. Now, I, it, when I say it's conjecture, it's because that's silence. It doesn't say in the Scripture they ever resolved the conflict. Can I just say this? There are sometimes you're not going to resolve a conflict because there are sometimes the conflict wasn't that important anyway. You understand where I'm coming from? That conflict, how important in all of life was it whether you take Mark or you don't? It wasn't. But when you know that you can't get along anymore, one of the things you have to do is just separate. And as you separate, hopefully things will get better. But you may not be able to reconcile. All right. <clears throat> so let's, let's ask a question or two here. Did it need reconciliation? Does this involve sin? Their disagreement. Did it involve sin? No. It, it involved an opinion about who's a good guy to take with us. So this is not sin. And sometimes I think believers really need to work on this because we treat things where we disagreed about something as if it's some great sin. No, it isn't. You can each have an opinion without having to think you, ha you are now of necessity uh, hating each other, can't be in fellowship with each other. That's nonsense, kids. You can disagree with people and be quite comfortable in, a, in any fellowship with them. Just because they disagreed about who ought to go with them doesn't mean there's something that needed resolution. Now, uh, let's, let's go another step further. Or could they man up and understand they differed over a minor thing that did not require reconciliation? Yes, they could have both just, men, just became the men they're supposed to be and recognized this was just agreement over disagreement over John Mark. Barnabas took Mark. I took Silas. It's done. What do I need? You know. Now, uh, what could have happened that would have needed a reconciliation? Okay, if Paul or Saul had said to Barnabas, "You brainless nit." Why are you wanting to take this guy along? He's never done anything right. He's just a, another brainless nit like you. Okay, now we're talking about having to need some reconciliation, but not over the opinion of which guy you should take or another, over calling someone names. You follow where I'm coming from? That now is something that needs some reconciliation because Jesus had already taught us that when you're calling somebody names, you're murdering that person. That's serious business. Okay, so comments, questions, thoughts about that, what we've talked about? Mike? At the time of the argument, Paul was still young in the faith. And you see a more mature Paul in the prison. Yes, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. That's, that is something that took place. Because this is the same guy. To, let's just go ahead and turn right now to um, Second. Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Here was the guy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 whose method of discussing the gospel was usually contentious. It usually wound up with him getting kicked out of the synagogue, him getting kicked out of town, uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish people um, getting upset with him, the, the, the ones we call the uh, Judaizers, they would get upset with him and say, no, he's teaching things against the gospel or against the, the scriptures, against Torah and all that sort of thing. That's, that's this guy here. Let's look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So if you've got somebody in humility, correct them. You're not going to correct them arguing with them. Listen, that goes on to say, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Kids, that's a serious condition. If this person's heart is hard enough that you could say he has, uh, uh, is now in the snare of the devil to, to recognize he's been taken captive by him to do his will, that's pretty serious business. But Paul's saying, don't be argumentative. This is when he's much older. He's experienced a lot of things by now. He's seen a lot of things by now, and he's saying, you know, I know this. You don't win very many people through argumentation. You might win the argument, but you could wind up losing the person. So everybody okay with what we're showing you there? So this guy grows in maturity. He starts out a young kind of hothead. Is he born again? Yes. Yes, he was born again. Is it possible for a born-again person to do that? Yes. Yes, it is. Is, Can a born-again person change? Yes, and he probably will. All right? But uh, some say they must have reconciled. Um, Since Paul writes about Barnabas and specifically asks for John Mark to be sent to him. Let's let's look at Colossians 4. Uh, I'm going to make sure I got this one one down right. Because when I read this, I thought, wow, I... I've probably read that many times before and never really saw that. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Verse 10, 410, Colossians 410. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Okay? So who's with Paul? Aristarchus and Mark. So Obviously, Paul was not told out by Mark. It wasn't something about Mark. He didn't like something Mark did. And he simply didn't want him going on another trip with him. It didn't mean he didn't like Mark. He just didn't like what Mark had done. But somewhere along the way, he's showing that Mark is a worthy companion. He's got him with him. But I was more interested in what he said about Barnabas. Look at it, it says here in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark. Mark greets you too with the cousin, the cousin of Barnabas. Now this parenthetical statement says, about whom you received instructions. So they've received some sort of instructions of, about Barnabas. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he was not uh, in a uh, bad state with Barnabas. He's not going around telling everybody, Barnabas is very argumentative. He doesn't use good sense. You know, he, he took along that Mark kid that he should never have taken along. Mark's just a wet behind the ears and didn't know what he was doing and immature and that sort of He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. He was saying instead, when Barnabas comes, receive him. So, and I can see what some people could say that that's a, a sign that they had been reconciled. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So something happened along the way. 
Was it Paul that changed? Was it Mark that changed? How about it? Could it have been both? Could it have been Paul's estimation now? He allowed himself the opportunity to keep reevaluating Mark, not leave him as he, as he was at a 19-year-old kid that didn't feel like he could make the journey. That wasn't what it was. He's, he's saying Mark is useful, so bring him with you. I want him w- with me. And then again, over in Philemon, the end of this chapter there of Philemon, He's saying, um, uh, Philemon 1, 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So Mark is with him there. So somebody has said they must have reconciled. I don't think they needed to be reconciled. There wasn't anything they had really done that required reconciliation. They went two different directions. That's all they did, kids. They didn't leave with uh, ugly feelings about each other, but the contention was sharp enough about one person. That's all it was. So it's not like this thing needed some deep reconciliation. I'm just going to encourage you, don't always think that you've got to have some deep reconciliation. If it was just a simple disagreement about a particular thing, let it be done. Let it be done. Just, well, anyway. All right, let's, let's finish this up real quickly here. What is to be the practice among groups of believers? Number one, letter A, if you would. Anticipate the possibility of conflict and do all you can to avoid it. Is conflict possible among believers? Yes. And don't go around with your mouth wide open when somebody has some sort of disagreement. I, I've seen... Uh, I've seen young men come on the official board at times. And the official board doesn't always agree about everything. We hope they don't agree about everything. Why? That means nobody's looking at the thing as an object. You know, it's, it's, it's just like my glasses are not flat. They've got two wings to them here to hold them behind my ears. But if I held it up like this, I said, I could say, uh, what, uh, what's the glass look like? Well, you can't see the glass. But if I'm underneath here looking up, then I can see the glass. I'm going to be able to see the, the, the arms as well, but I can see the glass, so I can describe the glass. We need all the guys in the official board to be able to look at a situation from all its different viewpoints so that we can make a decision that's based on facts, not upon just one guy's viewpoint of something. We want to hear it. So we'll hope that people do have things they don't agree about. We hope they'll disagree agreeably. Does that make sense? These are not life-changing things. When we're asking people, uh, what, what do you think about this purchasing this particular thing? This is not a life-changing matter we're looking at. You know what I'm saying? This is not, not going to be a disaster for people if you buy it. But if somebody says, I don't think that's the best price, I think it'd be found someplace else. And they got their phone out and they're looking, they Google it already, and they're saying, Amazon's got it for such and such. And somebody else may say, I won't buy anything from Amazon. I don't like what Amazon's about. I don't like anything to do with Amazon. Okay, but at least you're having some viewpoints being expressed, all right? So anticipate the possibility of conflict and do all you can to avoid it. If it's possible to avoid it, and how can you do that? Letter B, consider the issue about which you are approaching conflict. If you see you're about to have a conflict, something, check your own heart for pride and the need to be heard. Uh, Do do I have to express an opinion here? Is this this thing I'm about to weigh in on? Don't, Don't let Facebook catch you on something like this. Social media can catch you real fast. Just because somebody says some flashing, irritating thing does not mean you have to have an opinion and say something about it recognize that's a flashing, foolish statement they made, move on. Don't, don't hang around because you're, you're, you're looking. You're, you know you're looking at a conflict. Why go on with that? Okay. So is it really important enough to have a conflict? What will this, what will this, issue, be, will this issue be important next year? Will it be ne- important next month, next week, tomorrow? Am I, am I differing over what kind of coffee is the best coffee? Is that really going to be important? Two hours from now? No. Um, 
Number three, is the matter a doctrinal issue, a truth issue? Okay, now I've got a little more serious thing, don't I? I've got to look at that and say, okay, let's see what the scriptures say. Not just what I think. I still remember my Hebrew instructor looking at me as we were having a big discussion in there, and I was expressing my, my viewpoint, my opinion, and he took his glasses off, looked at me and said, White, where do you get the things you believe? Wow, that was a stinger. Because I didn't always have references for what I believe. But that stinger caused me to be somebody that said, I will have references next time. I'm not going to be caught there again, okay? So is it a doctrinal issue, a truth issue? You, you may have to disagree with someone. Is the matter a safety issue? If it's a safety issue, are you going to disagree? Well, yeah, if somebody can be hurt by it, yes. You, you need to disagree and say, don't do that. Man, that could get somebody hurt right there. Let's don't do that, okay? So there may be a disagreement. Is the matter an efficiency issue? Could, can you reveal it without conflict? In other words, can you say, there is another way to do that? Uh, so let, can I show you another way? Yeah, well, maybe your way is efficient. Um, so is your heart free enough to allow the less efficient way to be done? If the guy doesn't want to hear it, can you pull, your, pull yourself back from that situation and say, okay, we'll, we'll do it that way? Um, number six, will anyone be hurt by doing the thing in conflict? Sometimes you have to look out there and say, wait a minute, this is kind of a safety issue or this is kind of a, uh, an issue of words that are going to be said that will be painful for somebody because you don't know their history. I do know their history. And if you say what you're about to say, that's going to dig into them so deeply. Please don't say what you're about to say. That may be a conflict. It may be a disagreement. But you may have saved someone's uh, very um, strong feelings by telling them not to do that, okay? Um, will anyone be hurt by the conflict? Uh, oh, I, I guess I didn't finish that sentence. Number seven, will the issue pass the Romans 14 muster? And the Romans 14 basically says, you know, do all things out of love and peace. This is, this, this is the chapter that's about whether you should eat uh, this kind of meat or that kind of meat, can you, can you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols more? Can you eat this kind of meat? Can you eat pork? Uh, can you only eat beef? Don't have an argument about it. If, if you know that you have a brother that can't eat pork, please don't invite him over to your house and feed him sausage and ham. Why would you do that? In other words, Resolve that conflict in your own head before you get into it. Will it pass the Romans 14 muster? Uh, are you judging somebody else's servant? Listen, we all are serving Christ, and I'm trying to serve Christ the way I know how to do it. Please don't get into a conflict with me about how your way is better than my way. You are now judging the, the person that is uh, answering to God for what he's doing. Let's go to number eight. Does someone have an issue against you? If you know somebody's got an issue against you, go to them, take care of it, get that, get that done. That's how we're supposed to do. If you know that someone uh, has, if you, if you know you've sinned against someone, I should say that. That's probably uh, more proper. You know you sinned against somebody, go to them. Get that thing resolved, okay? And the next one is, has someone sinned against you, then you need to go to the Matthew eighteen fifteen. I probably said that all all wrong. You go to someone who's caught up in a sin, who's caught up in a conflict, and you go to them and you say to them, this is what you're doing that's wrong. Well, if they don't agree with you and they get all hostile with you, take a second person with you. What you're hoping to do is resolve a conflict before it becomes a conflict. It, it takes you through the path you should do once you've gone to them, you've gone with a witness, now you go to the church, and the church hopefully resolves the conflict with you right there. All right. Are you dealing with a divisive brother? Titus 3, 10 and 11 tells us that if you are dealing with a divisive brother, matter of fact, I've got it right here, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. So you tell him once, Stop arguing with people. You're just dividing us here. 
Then you tell him a second time, stop arguing and stop doing this divisive thing. It says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So that's how you deal with that one. Is the issue important or is the issue simply a foolish dispute? Is it important? Titus 3.9, listen to this one. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. So you got to look this thing over and say, is this really an important issue? Do, do, I, do I need to be involved with this conflict? Or is this one I can just walk on by and say, I don't, I don't have anything to do with this. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Um, can the issue pass the Philippians 2, 1 to 4 test? Um, I'll uh, see if I can find that real quick for us. And just read Philippians 2, 1 to 4. That one says, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. So that's one of the things. I want to get to where we're in agreement place. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So before you get into a, an argument, a disagreement, or a conflict, ask it if it can pass the Philippians 2, 1 to 4 test. Right. And then finally, is the person with whom you are entering this conflict simply hard-hearted? As we read in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, do not argue, but pray. If you can't correct them through teaching, if you can't show them through te- the Scriptures, this is what the Scriptures say. This is what the Scriptures say. If you can't show that and they still won't be argumentative about it, they're always got a but, but I think, but I think, just stop. There's no point going on with it, no point being argumentative. I pray that God will bring them to their senses. They can come out of that problem and there won't be a conflict. All right.